Welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom. My name is Helen Mully, and the author joining you in your classroom for this episode is the marvellous Sam Copeland. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Hello there. How are you doing? Not bad. Not bad. Only now, not bad. <laughs> no, I'm marvellous. I'm marvellous. If you're marvellous, then so am I. Yeah, absolutely. You're in the room with me. You should be happy. I'm more marvellous than I was five minutes ago. Excellent. Now, Sam has always worked in the world of books. In fact, uh, he's a literary agent, which means that he helps authors to get their work published. But although most people who hang around books and work with books will say, there's a novel in me waiting to get out, if you'd have asked Sam three years ago, would you like to write a book of your own? He would have said, no way. Luckily for us, though, he was eventually persuaded to give writing a try. And guess what? He turned out to be rather good at it. His first book for children, Charlie Changes Into a Chicken, was, I think it's fair to say, an instant hit. Charlie Turns Into a T-Rex followed six months later, and in February 2020, a third title in the series was added, Charlie Morphs Into a Mammoth. All three books are ridiculously funny, and follow the adventures of Charlie McGuffin, a nine-year-old boy who's fairly ordinary in most ways, but who has the extraordinary ability to change into various animals whenever he gets stressed. So, Sam, before we start talking a bit more about being a writer and what that means to you and what it involves, I have an important question for you. Yes. Do you think that people should keep their promises? Absolutely, they should. Always, every time, no excuses. And what is it that you absolutely promise before the start of the first chapter of Charlie Morphs Into a Mammoth? I promise that Charlie will will turn into a mammoth. I see. I just wanted to put that on the podcast. We'll talk a bit more about that later. Okay. So I said earlier on that you didn't dream about writing books. So what about when you were at school? What was your writing like when you were at school? I don't know whether I stood out at writing at school. I think I was sort of ordinary writing. Um, I remember my English teacher... Uh, we always used to, uh, we had a love-hate relationship in that <laughs> I loved him, he hated me. Uh, and I actually, um, he taught me for five years and he obviously taught me very well. And I actually wrote him an email not so long ago apologizing for my behavior at school. Did you get a reply? I did and we went out for a drink. It was very nice. Oh, there you go. So there was a happy yeah. ending to that one. It was. But it, but it wasn't something that always burned inside you. One day I shall write a book. No, I never thought I would. I never thought I would. So it, this whole experience is a total surprise to me in my, in my middle age. Um, I never for a second, if you told me when I was 20 that I'd be a published author, I, I would not have believed you. So it, it could happen at any time, really? Absolutely, it could. And there's no rush at all. And if you, if you didn't know that you were going to be a writer, and this, this came as, as some surprise, where on earth did the idea of a boy who could randomly change into different animals come from? It, well, that wasn't, that wasn't, well, that wasn't what I started with. What I started with was I started with um, the character. Of Charlie, okay, and I, um, I found he, I found the voice of the narrator as well, and I found Charlie the character, and then I thought, okay, I need to do something 
with Charlie. I need something interesting and funny <laughs> to happen to him. And, and I thought, okay, wouldn't it be funny if I can put him in all sorts of ridiculous situations because he keeps turning into animals at the worst possible time? Imagine what it'd be like if you turn into an animal in the middle of your class. Um, that could so, be quite inconvenient, I imagine. It, it or handy. Yeah, if you wanted to sneak out, you could turn into, into a tiny insect. Do you do a lot of research about the animals you write about? Oh, absolutely. All sorts of research. Ridiculous research. You should see my Google search terms. <laughs> uh, as, well, as well, I'm also obsessed with disgusting animals. Um, so I'm constantly researching animals. Okay, well, then I need to know, having just finished Charlie Morphs into a Mammoth, hmm. are you telling the truth about penguins? Um, do you think I'm telling the truth? Cute penguins, cute, lovely penguins are really vicious and evil and determined <laughs> to destroy us. Look into their look into their eyes. I think you can <laughs> you know the truth. They may look sweet, but if you look into a penguin's eyes, you will see the eyes of a cold blooded, merciless killer. I'm never gonna look at penguins the same <laughs> again. <laughs> and that's one of the fun things I've been able to do, give give animals personalities that you wouldn't expect. But all the stuff in the footnotes, the the little points about what the animals are and what they can do and, and little almost everything I say <laughs> is true that and almost is really important isn't it it's very important <laughs> yeah sometimes it's good to be a little bit cheeky absolutely so going back to this this being a writer business which you're yep. still relatively new at I suppose compared to a baby to writer some. absolutely okay um what is the ideal writing environment for you is it sitting in a classroom at a desk surrounded by 29 other people also trying to write? Ah, uh, do you know what? There's no ideal environment, but I think if you're going to, going to find the hardest environment to write a book, it will probably be sat in a noisy classroom with 29 other children. I think that would be very, very difficult. I, I actually have, um, do you know, noise defending earphones? Yes. I have big noise-defending earphones that I put on which block out the noise of my own children <laughs> when I write. Um, so uh, peace and quiet is helpful. It's not essential, but it is, it, it is helpful. Yes. Presumably, though, even with your noise-defending headphones on mm. and a deadline in front of you, there mm. are times when the words just don't come. There are there are always times when the words don't come. One of the one of the frustrating things about writing funny books is you can't just keep writing. You have to think of jokes. Um, so I envy writers who don't have to write funny books because they could just get on with the plot and tap 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 and write away. And it's uh, so thinking of jokes is 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 the really hard part for me. That's why I, I was going to ask you about this because you you do write very very funny books and I was wondering how hard that is especially when you're not trying to make other grown-ups laugh around the dinner table or in the office you're trying to make a really tricky audience laugh well the thing is what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make myself laugh ah. I'm trying to make myself laugh and that's one of the keys to writing funny and especially writing funny children's books I, I think um, because I see lots of writers trying to write funny books for children. I see their mistakes. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to write down two children like they're a, a different species or something. Yeah. But I think um, if it doesn't make me laugh, why is it going to make children laugh? 
Um, so the number one person I need to make laugh first is myself. And so once you've made yourself laugh, do you, do you test your material on anyone else? Do you test it on your own kids? No, I uh, just assume that it's 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 a brilliant joke. <laughs> um, but you know, when I when I when I when I wrote the book, I, I wanted to write something that was funny, not just for children, but for adults, and not just for children who read all the time, but for children who only pick up a book once once a year. I wanted to make it funny for and entertaining for as many people as I possibly could. Well, it certainly made me laugh. Thank you. Um, there's another feature of the books as well, and you touched on it earlier on. You said you like really disgusting animals. Oh, my god. Who good. doesn't? Who doesn't oh, like disgusting there animals? There are some disgusting scenes in... <laughs> Charlie Morse into a mammoth. You yeah. go places I'm not sure any other author would go. Why, why, why do you do that? Oh, because why not? <laughs> why not? Because Is there anywhere you wouldn't go? Each, each book, I, I do something disgusting. I think, well, I need to go more disgusting <laughs> than I did last time. And um, I was quite disgusting in the first book, really disgusting in the second and the third. I, and there was times I was writing, I was thinking, are they going to allow me to publish this? Am I going to get away with writing this? And um, yeah, well, <laughs> and, they, and somehow the, the, they pu- did. the publisher did let me write it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would actually like you to read a bit of the book. Teachers, don't worry. I've picked out a section of the book which it is perfectly safe to read out in the classroom. Um, so let's pause for a moment, Sam, while you get your reading head on. Okay. And then we'll have a go. Okay. So, Sam Copeland, you're going to read a little extract from your latest book, Charlie Morphs Into a Mammoth, for us. Um, Just to put us in the picture, what's happening at this point in the story? Okay, well, Charlie and his friends are at the zoo, and Charlie has just turned into a crocodile. And he sees his mortal enemy, Dylan, and he thinks it's time for a little bit of revenge. When he had started the hunt, Charlie's plan had just been to terrify Dylan, but now all the anger he felt for the misery Dylan had caused him and his friends came together as one thought. Bite him. Chomp him. Crunch his bones and tear his flesh. Despite Dylan's head start, Charlie was gaining on him. He snapped his jaws, but caught only thin air. He realised what he was doing was wrong and knew deep down that he shouldn't eat Dylan. But the instinct was impossible to resist. Dylan deserved it. Snap! Again, Charlie's great jaws slammed shut, and this time he caught the back of Dylan's hastily stapled trousers and ripped them open again. Dylan kept running in sheer panic, trying to hold up what was left of his trousers and underpants and hide his bum at the same time. That was impossible, though, and... As Dylan ran, his trousers dropped completely down, got tangled up in his feet, and he fell forward onto his face, displaying his bare bum to the world. But worse than that, the crocodile was upon him. Charlie gave a hiss of victory and shook his head to get rid of the shredded Incredible Hulk underpants which hung off his front teeth. He crawled forward and placed a heavy claw on Dylan's back, rolling him over like a ragdoll. No, Charlie thought, I can't do this. Yes, you can, the crocodile part of him thought. The world is a cruel place, and people just need to realise that. 
Dylan whimpered with dread as the crocodile crawled forward until its head was level with his. It eyed him in the cold black slit in his green orb, narrowed as it got closer and closer. Dylan felt hot, foul breath on his face as the crocodile opened its jaws. He closed his eyes, awaited for the bite that would end his young life. Oh, wow. I've got actual goosebumps now. I mean, for a funny book, and and I promise this is a funny book, that's a really scary bit. Yeah, but I I wanted every page I write to be either funny or entertaining or scary or interesting. And it just so happens that bit was um, a little bit of a scary bit. With some funny bear bums in it as well. Always always bear bums. (laughs) What I find really powerful about that extract is how the the boy part of Charlie and the crocodile part of Charlie are fighting with each other for, mm. for control of what's going on. Is that tricky to write? That's an interesting question. Um, no, I didn't find it interesting to write. I thought it would be fun just to have the, the, the two parts of Charlie, the animal part and the human part, conflicting, arguing with each other. So when you're writing characters... How do you manage to get inside their head? I mean, I, you know, the people listening to this can't see you, but I promise you, listeners, that Sam is not a nine-year-old boy. So I am. (laughs) But presumably he was once. I was once, yes. (laughs) Is that how you get inside the head of a nine-year-old boy? I actually can't remember what it was like to be a nine-year-old boy. It's so long ago, I can't remember. (laughs) Um, uh, so again, I didn't set out to write children. I just set out to write characters that I felt I would be friends with. So his best friends, Mosin and Wogan and Flora. They're great. Um, I, I I created characters that that I I, I, ju- I would want to be friends with. And this is a very weird thing to say, but I feel that. I've become friends with them, which sounds crazy when you're just talking about characters you've created, but I do. I I like them very much for some reason, but they're actually based on um, work colleagues of mine. Do the work colleagues know? They do all know. They do all know, yes. <laughs> Some of them, I've got to say, are not the sharpest tools in the box. Paul Wogan, Paul Wogan. I won't, I won't say who that is based on. And he is suing me, unfortunately. <laughs> no, he's not suing me. He's very happy. He's very happy with it. He's very happy with it. But as well as this lovely gang of, of friends, you do also, I mean, you've got inside the head of a scary, murderous crocodile just then. How do you do that? I think that's because a part of me is a scary, murderous crocodile. Okay, I'm going to move a little bit further away from you yeah. now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, crocodiles don't growl. I don't they, know why I did they really, that. I thought you said you did research. <laughs> yeah. But so the young people listening to this will be having to go off and, and write their own characters. Yep. And is there a trick? Is there is there a, a way they can start to get inside someone's head and, and be someone else to write? I think having fun is a big part. Okay. Having fun. If you're going to create a baddie, have, just have fun with the baddie. Uh, it should be, it, you should enjoy being with the character. If it's friends, create friends who you would like to be friends with. Yeah, you've just got to try and make them believable if you can. Yeah, and actually it is kind of 
fun to pretend to be properly bad for a bit, isn't it? There's there's an enjoyment in there too. Ah, yeah, that's um, <laughs> writing writing the, the 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 naughty the naughty characters, the bad characters. That's that is the fun part. <laughs> it's it's about empathy, isn't it? It's it's about it imagining does. what the world is like for somebody else. Um, I think that's what makes characters come alive, and I think you bring that quite cleverly into the latest book Charlie morphs into a mammoth because there's a point about halfway through and if you don't mind I'm going to read a little bit now as well because you know I can't possibly let you have all the glory (laughs) so there's a point about halfway through where your your arch villain Dylan van der Groen is he's suddenly and surprisingly quite nice to Charlie he's heard that his parents are splitting up and there's this sort of awkward outreach of friendship but then this happens but don't think this changes anything between us MacGuffin Dylan snarled extra venom in his voice we're still mortal enemies but why because said Dylan I'm evil on the outside anyway but I'm like an onion MacGuffin I have layers and peel those layers back and I'm exactly the same evil onion in the middle and I also make you cry but you don't have to be an evil onion of course I do said Dylan a hint of weariness and resignation in his voice because every story needs a hero and a villain and I am this story's villain Dylan you're not a villain you're a schoolboy who watches too many movies I love that bit I love that bit. And then at the end of the book, without too many spoilers, we find out a bit more about Dylan Mm. and we end up having sympathy for him too. Was it important to you that Dylan wasn't just a two-dimensional baddie in a book, that he had his own story? What I wanted to show was often the bullies in life are the unhappy ones. Absolutely. And um, I wanted to show that everybody has some sort of problem that they walk around and they might be laughing on the outside, but you know, the, the, and, and the angry ones, they, they often have uh, sadness behind it, which causes the anger. And I really, I really wanted to show that. I think I think you did. I think you did. I was quite fond of Dylan by the end. I have to yeah. say, <laughs> yeah. And this idea about a book having to have a hero and a villain, and someone having to be the hero and someone having to be the villain—that's not the only bit of how books are supposed to work that you play with. In fact, you take enormous liberties with how books are supposed to work. You interrupt the story to argue with the readers or the publisher. And actually, at one point in this last book, you sack your illustrator, which is outrageous because it's Sarah Horn and she's wonderful. Um, and then you have to reinstate her. What did you think of my pictures? They had a different feel. You know, okay. It's everyone has their own taste. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think that good writers do tend to break the rules? I think some do. I think it's important to know the rules first um, before you go about breaking them. 
Um, that is very reassuring for the teacher in the classroom to hear. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Which is why you do have to learn all the all the all the boring rules just so you sort of understand the game and then once you understand the game then you can sort of stray out of the boundaries. And that's when the fun really starts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for teachers listening, we've put together some classroom activities that are based on Charlie's adventures and the aim of them is is to help pupils build their skills at creating characters and writing with empathy and maybe breaking a few rules along the way as well. You can download them for free at Plazoom along with a whole heap of other brilliant literacy resources. Why not take a look? We're going to pause for a moment but then we'll be back to find out what's next for Sam and perhaps for Charlie. Sam Copeland. Yes, hello. Hello. We have had Charlie changes into a chicken. Charlie turns into a T-Rex. And now Charlie morphs into a mammoth. Now, I'm no expert, but I think there's a bit of a pattern going on with those titles. And I'm wondering if teachers who are playing this in their classrooms might like to press pause and see whether their pupils can come up with some ideas for the next book in the series following the same pattern. So what did you come up with? I've come up with one. Um, I think it should be Charlie evolves into an eel. Oh, that's what quite a good reckon? one. That's quite a good one because I'm actually running out. I've, I've kind of pushed myself into a corner. And I've run out of... Uh, uh, synonyms, synonyms and alliterations. Um, so if there are any good ideas out of... Uh, 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 from children out there, I'll be delighted to hear them. How can they get them to you? Um, via my website. Okay. You can find my email on the website. Well, you say you're running out of ideas, but does that doesn't mean it's it for Charlie. Who knows? You're going to leave us hanging, aren't Who you? Who knows? Who knows? Oh. I mean, what I will say is, what I will say is, is at the end of, when I finished writing Charlie Morphs into a Mammoth, and I, I wrote the last few words... I felt very sad at the thought of saying goodbye. Although actually talking about Charlie morphing into a mammoth, I am reminded that back at the start of this episode, you told everyone listening that you think people should keep their promises. And um, again, without giving too much of the plot away, there's a certain animal that Charlie still hasn't turned into. So I'm not sure you actually have a choice when it comes to writing another book about him. Okay. Now, you may not have wanted to be an author for your whole life, but you, you very much are one now. So if I had to pin you down, if you had to give one recommendation for the young people who are listening to this, who might dream of publishing their own books in the future, what, what would that tip be? Well, the obvious one, the obvious one is, and this is so important for almost everything in life, and that is to read read, 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 read as much as you can. I'm sure all the teachers out there will be uh, uh, banging this into children's heads, but it's absolutely true. Um, it's it's one of the most important things you can do in life is, is reading books. And you simply cannot be an author without re reading books. And if they're reading your books, they will have a very, very good time while they're doing oh, so. Thank you. Sam, we're just about to run out of time ourselves, but it has been brilliant talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. I hope 
the young people listening might have been inspired not only to read your books, which if they haven't already, I highly recommend, but perhaps also to write something funny of their own. Thank you for being our guest for this episode of Author in Your Classroom. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Author in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom, where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATs revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com, where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible, so please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen with Author in Your Classroom and Plazoom.